So the most successful band to come out of our city, or one of the most successful bands to ever come out of our great city, uh, started at DePaul in 1967 among a group of students there. And uh, they began to play together, and they took the name the Chicago Transit Authority, and they uh, combined rock and roll with jazz fusion, and then, as they begin to get some notoriety, the Chicago Trans the actual Chicago Transit Authority sued them. They changed the name to Chicago, and uh, the the jazz fusion rock of the '70s, which some of you may be familiar with, uh, gave way to to really intense love ballads in the '80s. And and uh, I you know I know that I'm older than some of you, but do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever heard of the band Chicago? Okay. So one, uh, one example of their best-selling songs from the 80s, I was looking this up, and, and it was amazing uh, how, how emotional their best-selling songs were of the 80s. And one of the best examples is a so song called Will You Still Love Me? And I'm not going to sing it, but here are the lyrics. <laughs> Take me as I am. Put your hand in mine, now and forever. Darling, here I stand, stand before you now. Deep inside, I always knew that it was you, you and me, two hearts drawn together bound by destiny. It was you and you for me. Every road leads to your door, every step I take forevermore. Just say you'll love me for the rest of my life. And here's the key line, I got a lot of love and I don't want to let go. I got a lot of love and I don't want to let go. Okay, this is just one of their over-the-top, emotionally indulgent songs that sold millions of copies, millions upon millions of copies. Laura and I sometimes joke that Chicago from the 80s is the soundtrack to codependent relationships. <laughs> I got a lot of love, and I don't want to let go, but I really appreciate that they, they're accurately describing the way we treat one another a lot of the times. Because you and I have a capacity in us to say, I got a lot of love and I don't want to let go of this love that I found, this relationship that I found. A lot of us start like this. We, we start with a need for relationships. We're, we're hungry for a friendship, for a romance, for a professional mentor for someone that we can be in a band with, whatever. We want to thrive and grow, and that can't happen in isolation. can't happen. We cannot thrive and grow on our own, whether introvert or extrovert. We're looking for relationships. We start out like this. We come to church, and we're like this. We're, if we're new to the church. Will someone say hi to me? Will I make a friend here? Will I actually connect here? Will there be lasting bonds made here? We go to a network conference for our work. And we're like, right? Will I meet anybody interesting? Will I walk away with a friend? Will I walk away with a collaborator? Will I walk away with a professional mentor? We go to happy hour like this. Am I going to meet somebody? Am I going to make a connection? I don't want to be alone. No one does. We go out on a date like this, going, are we a match? Is there romance in the mix here? And every once in a while, we find it. 
right? Sorry, it's the best I could do. Okay, it's January 2015. I'm already running out of creative ideas. But anyway, we find it. Okay, it works out. There's a romantic connection, and it's different. It's different than than this. Or we make a friend at church, and it's like this. Yeah, this is good. Or we join a small group and we actually connect. Wow, I really love the small group that I'm in. I've made a connection. We finally find a professional mentor. We're like, oh, my, I get the best advice from them. We're fi- we we, we uh, collaborate with fellow band members or other people that we make art with, and we're like, I've never done more creative work. And it's, m- much of it is because I made this connection with this person. And it's so good. And you know what's so tempting? is for us to say along with Chicago, I got a lot of love, and I don't want to let go. We start to clutch that love. We start to clutch onto that relationship that means so much to us. And we put a vice grip on it. And we clamp down out of anxiety that this is going to be taken from me. I got a lot of love. I don't want to let go. I'm not talking about healthy exclusivity, healthy boundaries. Those are good. I'm talking about a lack of freedom with relationships that mean the most of us, a lack of freedom. What happens when you clutch on like this? First of all, from the outside, what happens? You can't, other people can't break in to this. Other relationships ding right off from this clamped down relationship where you have a lot of love and you don't want to let go. What else happens? We go from appreciating someone The things that we appreciate about someone, we begin to expect that they will deliver what we appreciate again. And then when they don't deliver, we get bitter and we get angry. It becomes a demand. What we started out appreciating becomes a demand. You know, before in our relationship, it was so much fun. But now you have all these complaints. You know, before in our friendship, we hung out a lot, and now all of a sudden, you don't have time for me. You know, you used to call me a lot. We used to actually exchange a lot of good ideas, but now you're, now you're, you're like pulling out and checked out. You're with this other person, and I am so frustrated with you. So what becomes an appreciation moves to an expectation, and when the expectations aren't met, we get bitter. And this can happen in any relationship, any small group. Sometimes some of us have had a really good connection, and, and it no longer exists, but we're still clutching to a phantom relationship, a phantom church community, a phantom small group that is no longer in our life, but we're still clutching onto it, and new relationships can't break in, and there's not freedom inside. So in short, we can love our relationships too much. We can. It is possible to love our relationships too much, and to the point that we crush them. We're in a series, a sermon series called Yours. And we're exploring six things that matter so much to us that we're tempted to hoard them. Time, our time, our relationships, which is this week, our abilities, which is next week, our money, our bodies, and our story, our life story. We're tempted to hoard these things. 
So we can stand before God and have all our time and relationships and abilities and money and body and story and stand before God and say, mine. This is mine. It's my career. Okay? It's, it's my kids. They're my kids. It's my paycheck. It's my body. And it's my money. And I'll give you a tip out of duty. I, I'll give you a little bit of something because maybe I have to, like I'm paying the IRS. But I won't give you my life. We can stand before God and say mine about those things. Or we can stand before God and we can say yours about every single one of those things. We can say that about our friendships, about our romances, about our creative connections, about our church, about our small group. I can say yours about you, and you can say that to God about me. And we can do so out of love and worship to God. It is a devotion of our very life. A lot of times, this is the difference between a rich and thriving connection with God and one that is stale and abstract and distant. A lot of times, it's the, diff- the difference between a stale and abstract connection to God and his love and a rich and abiding connection with God and his love is what we're saying over the stuff that we're most tempted to hoard. Now, common sense tells us that this is true uh, with relationships. Um, romances don't last long if you don't devote any time to them. Unless you're able to say yours to the person you want to date with your Friday night, hey, my Friday night is yours, my Tuesday night is yours, uh, these gifts are yours, eventually that, that relationship's going to start to wither and die, won't it? Because there's, there's no devotion at all. There's no shared anything. On the other hand, if you, if you give your time, relationships, abilities, money, body, and story, it allows you to participate deeply in that love, and, and it's joyful. The same is true with God. And so my goal for the series that, is that we would, as a church community, learn to do this together. So I want to encourage you to be here for the whole series and participate in what we as the people of God are seeking to participate in, and that is to enter more deeply and intentionally into the love of God with the very stuff of our life, with when it gets real, not when it's abstract, but when it gets real, when it gets precious, what are we doing with these things that we're tempted to say mine to God about? Um, now, with relationships, how can it work that we can have life-giving relationships to others without clutching on? How do we hold these relationships with an open palm and grow closer to God in the process? Because that can happen. We can have meaningful relationships and grow closer to God in the process. Um, We can have healthy and life-giving relationships and connections with people without becoming jealous, becoming possessive, and becoming smothering, which is a temptation for us. It is possible to have meaningful connections that last without smothering the, the person and grow closer to God in the process. And it is the nature of God that will do that. If you want freedom in your human relationships, your horizontal relationships, you must start with a vertical relationship. That is the one that brings freedom. That is the one that brings life. That is the one that unlocks relationships that are healthy and growing without becoming uh, possessive. When that happens, when the relationship with God gets adjusted, um, new possibilities open up in our relationships. And this is the exciting part. Uh, This is the part that a lot of us uh, will miss. 
uh, if we don't get the vertical relationship right. Consider what could happen if God brought freedom to your relationships. Think about maybe one or two relationships that mean a lot to you, the ones that you're tempted to clutch onto. Think about these possibilities. Um, first possibility, we could receive more meaningful relationships. And I'm talking about quantity of people. If there were more freedom, if we did not clutch as much, there would be more opportunity in our life for more people, more meaningful relationships. And I'm talking about introverts and extroverts. This is not about style. Um, uh, we will otherwise ignore those people. If we're holding on too tightly to the people that we highly value, we will ignore the people that God is sending us that we would otherwise not see. Okay, second possibility. We can serve the common good through our relationships. We can serve people, and this is exciting and fulfilling for any relationship. Whenever you're able to serve the common good, serve outside of the relationship, through the relationship, it's exciting and ennobling. Our relationships can create beauty for others. Our relationships can establish justice for the sake of others. Our relationships can create jobs for others. Um, our relationships can plant churches for others. Our relationships can literally feed and clothe and love the hungry and the cold and the lonely. Our relationships can do that. And a spirit of holy adventure can fill our relationships. So there can be more of them. We can serve the common good through the relationships that we have. And finally, our expectations can match reality. Some of us need this. Our expectations can finally begin to match reality for, for what we can actually expect with human relationships. So we'll expect more out of our relationship with God, and that's fitting, because he has more to give than any person can give. Um, and that's the point of the series. So some of us expect so very little out of the, our relationship with God. We just have extremely low expectations. Um, and so we don't invest ourselves in that relationship. So our, our, our expectations for what we can get in our relationship with God should probably get ramped up. But this will free us to scale down appropriately our expectations of relationships with people so that our expectations match reality. For some of you, this will be good for your sanity. This will be good for your heart to scale down your expectations for what people can do for you and give you. Um, because other people are broken and incomplete. Other people are broken and incomplete. And so what can we honestly expect from them? Um, we, we can give each other human-sized joy, but we cannot give each other God-sized joy. But a lot of times we really want God-sized joy from human-sized people. It doesn't work. So beware of putting anyone on a pedestal. Me, other people, someone that you've really connected with, Beware putting anybody on a pedestal. They can't always be there for you. They can't do what God can do for you. Um, so our expectations need an adjustment. There's all kinds of things that can happen when there is freedom in our relationships. When we can unclench the relationships that mean most to us, we can serve through those relationships, we can receive more relationships, and we can get in touch with reality. This is both sane and exciting at the same time. So let's start by unpacking our relationship with God. Now, one of the best questions that you can ask to reveal the heart and soul of any relationship um, is, 
what question? You're sitting down with a married couple, you're sitting down with people who've been friends for a long time. What's one question that you can ask them that can really begin to unpack the fabric of that relationship, the nature of that relationship? How did you meet? Right? How did you meet? Tell, tell the story of your relationship. Um, because the story of the relationship is the relationship. How you meet and the significant experiences that you go through are the relationship. And that's why when, when God was establishing the terms and expectations for the way that he would relate with his people, which included Israel and includes us as the church, um, when he was establishing terms and expectations for how is this going to go, he started with the story that got them there. He started with the how did you meet story. He started with the what's the most significant thing you've ever been through together story. And he says in Exodus 20 verse 2, I invite you to look at that, uh, look at the text with me. He says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is saying, people, my people, do you know what we've been through together? Do you know what we've been through together? Just months ago, you were slaves. You, you were being whipped by cruel masters. You were working from sunup to sundown and then some. You were making bricks without straw. You, you were starving. Your children were destined to become slaves just like you were. And you were told that you were nothing. That you were discardable and worthless just a few months ago. And I, the Lord your God, heard that. I heard your cries and I saw the empty expression in your face. People, I saw that. I was looking and I could see that something in you had died because you had been treated like death. And I delivered you. And I showed the most powerful country in the world how much I loved you and how committed I was to you. I was there, Israel. I was there, people of God. I was there in your darkest hour. I was there then and I'm here now. I am the Lord your God. God's presence with Israel through their suffering is a way to express how thick God's love is. Sometimes love can be incredibly thick. What that means is that that love endures and is present through periods of suffering. That does not mean that love is necessarily solving the, the problems of suffering although sometimes it does in the case of the Lord and Israel. But thickness, love's thickness, is when you are present through suffering. You're there at the hospital bed when the person you love is suffering. You're there at the kitchen table when they're going through bankruptcy. You're there when they lost someone uh, important to them. You're there. You're not necessarily solving their problems, but you are there praying for them. You are there with them. That is thickness. And the Lord's relationship with Israel had thickness. And he's referring to it when he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I was there. I didn't abandon you. I never left. I was on the ground. And his deliverance for them, not just his presence, but his deliverance for them from the injustice, expresses how persistent God's love is. There were ten plagues that God brought to Egypt in order to get his people free. His love was persistent enough to press Pharaoh until Pharaoh let the Israelites go. It was persistent. 
I was there in your darkest hour. I was there getting you out. I was there. Why? Because I am the Lord, your God. I was there because I'm yours. My love is thick because I'm yours. I was persistent to get you out because I'm yours. I was and will always track you down because I am yours. The story of you and me will always reflect that I am yours and that you are mine because that's the nature of our love. That is the nature of love between God and his people. Can you read verse 2 and hear the passion in God's voice? I am the Lord your God. Friends, this is not a DMV announcement. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. A married couple who has been through incredible devastation and bitterness, who comes to a point of reconciliation and renewal, will know what it's like to speak with this level of passion. A soldier who has lived through battle with his comrades and knows the bond that battle can create with his comrades can read verse 2 and know the passion in God's voice. A parent who has walked with their child through sickness or danger knows something of this persistence and this thickness in God's voice. But no human relationship, no matter how strong, can match this relationship. No human relationship can be this thick. No human relationship can be this persistent. No human relationship can be this passionate. No one can hold a candle to God's love. What's your version of Egypt? When did you feel alone and abandoned? Have you gone through seasons of depression or crippling anxiety or grief? Have you lost a family member, lost one of your parents, lost a sibling, lost a child? Did you have situations when you trusted somebody and they profoundly let you down and you wondered if you could ever trust somebody again? Have you ever felt completely isolated and imprisoned in your own state of anxiety or depression? Have you been through moments of suffering and confusion? Have you been through moments of doubt? God was there, my friend. God was there because he is the Lord your God. He has never left your side. He was there then and he's here now. He was there then and he's here now because he's the Lord your God. He entreats you with passion in his voice because whether you've acknowledged it or not, you've got a history with God. You have a history with God and he has a history with you. There's a story to be told about you and God. And you have been through troubled times and the Lord has never left your side. And he will never leave your side. He will never leave your side. And he will never abandon you. God was there then. He was there when you were in Egypt. And he's here now. When the reality of God's thick, persistent, passionate love towards us, when that fails to sink in, a void will be left and we will seek out substitutes in the form of other people. We will seek constancy from other people who can't always be there for us. We will seek a divine measure of devotion from people who can't always be there for us. 
who only have a limited attention span. Can you think about that? God has an unlimited attention span. But sometimes we look to people and we're like, pay attention to me and don't ever stop paying attention to me and be attentive to where I'm at. No marriage, no matter how healthy, can match God's attention span to the suffering that we are going through. We are tempted to take a horizontal relationship and give it vertical expectations. We are tempted to take a horizontal relationship with another person, another clay-footed, finite, soon-to-be-dead human person, and we go, be God to me. Show me God's thickness. Show me God's loyalty. Never let me down. Be passionate about me. And that person cannot house those expectations. And so we get let down. We get frustrated. And we go, well, that person, that church, that pastor, that small group, that romance, that friendship, they let me down. Well, you had God-sized expectations for that person, friendship, church. That will all, you will always be let down if that's your expectation. That's what brings this kind of grip. The expectations that people will supply what only God can. We start gripping that relationship and the freedom drains out. This is called idolatry. And the Lord even references it. He says in verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. And he says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Now stop there. I love that phrase, make for yourself. This is the essence of idolatry. We find something in creation. We find someone in our life and we go, I will make for myself a source of God's love and power and delight. We assign value. It's like we're minting our own currency. We're going, oh, print out a $20 bill. This is worth $20 to me. I'm going to treat it like it's worth $20 to me. I'm going to spend it like it's worth $20 to me. I'm going to protect it like it's worth $20 to me. We do that with people, don't we? We find people who are useful to us. We find people who can deliver the goods, and we're like, oh, you are going to be the one who is constant. You are going to be the one who's thick. You're going to be the one who's persistent. You're going to be the one who's consistent. And we make an idol out of something on earth. We make for ourselves an idol and we bow down to it because we look on it with God-sized expectations. God is sometimes really frustrating to be in a relationship with because we cannot control him. Right? There's some things that feel illogical about the way God operates. There are some things that feel frustrating and unpredictable. That's one thing. There's unpredictability to the way God operates. It requires a lot of us to be in relationship with God. And we can't control him. And so we go for something easier, which is exactly what Israel was tempted to do, just with different things. Tempted to go for something logical and easier and controllable. That's what idolatry is. Making a system so that we can get God-sized goods from something that God has made. And this is nothing less than an affront on our relationship with God. It is infidelity. It is infidelity to our relationship with God. And that's why God responds so strongly. He says in verse 5 and 6, um, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God. Some of us look on this and we go, Is God being childish when he's being jealous? I found really helpful um, uh, the writing of Paul Copen, who says this about God's jealousy. He says, A wife who doesn't get jealous and angry when another woman is flirting with her husband, isn't really committed to the marriage relationship. Outrage, pain, anguish, 
these are appropriate responses to such deep violation. God isn't some abstract entity or impersonal principle. We should be amazed that the creator of the universe would so deeply connect himself to human beings that he would open himself up to sorrow and anguish in the face of human rejection and betrayal. And this is the plain fact of how God operates with us. He loves us so much that he's willing to be jealous. And he's willing to be jealous because he knows that if we are unfaithful to our relationship with him, we will destroy ourselves in the process. We will cut ourselves off from his blessing and love, and we will look for it in something else, and it will disappoint and destroy. The bottom line is this, friends. Fidelity towards God requires freedom towards everybody else. Fidelity towards God requires and brings freedom towards everybody else. If there's a relationship that is not free, it is time for us to turn that relationship over to the Lord and say, yours. That is a way that we are both faithful to God and it will bring freedom to everybody else. Practically speaking, what does this mean? Let's talk about what it doesn't mean. This does not mean that we play fast and loose with people, that we do not follow through on our commitments with people. You are called to fulfill your vows if you have made them to your spouse, and you are called if you are married to be completely exclusive with that spouse, romantically, sexually, and spiritually. There's something unique about that marriage relationship, and you are called to absolute faithfulness in your sexuality and in your romantic, net, in your romantic life and spiritually. You are called to fulfill your vows to your children if you have children. Um, exclusivity is good as a, as a boundary marker. And so it is part of healthy relationships to have a measure of appropriate exclusivity. This does also does not mean that we don't take any joy in our relationships. We can, we can receive a meaningful relationship and be thankful to God for it. We can enjoy that friendship. We can enjoy that creative partnership. We can enjoy that marriage relationship. We can take delight in our children. I can delight in you and I do delight in you. We can take delight in the relationships that God provides. So it does not mean that we play fast and loose, that there's no exclusivity, that there's no boundaries. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy our relationships. But here's what it does mean. It means that you hold people before the Lord with an open palm and lower your expectations for what people can give you. You might even think this week, what am I expecting from this person? If you are angry towards someone, where's that anger coming from? Take people off pedestals if you have them on pedestals. Take me off a pedestal if you've got me on a pedestal. Take other people that you really appreciate off pedestals if you've got them on a pedestal. It's not loving towards them to do that. You're putting vertical expectations on a horizontal relationship. It means embracing and being open to people whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. You can do it in an introverted way or in an extroverted way. Be open and, uh, and embrace the people that God brings you. What does this mean for our church? If we're going to receive relationships from God and give thanks to him, but then offer them back to him, what is that going to look like practically? So let's talk about this. Maybe you feel completely connected in our church. You're like, I've got all the relationships I need, all of like the RAM sticks or whatever, like they're completely filled up, um, all my slots, all my needs are met. Let's say that's you. I want to invite you to 
join a small group as you are able. We have sign-ups now, last for 10 weeks. We'll take a break and we'll have new sign-ups again. So if you can join a small group this, this time around, join a small group, even if you com feel completely connected. Or next time around, even if you feel completely connected. Um, if it's awkward and you show up and it's like, wait, my other friends were a lot more fun and this is like awkward. Um, show up until you love the people in your small group. It goes for 10 weeks. Show up for 10 weeks. And I think that love for the people in your small group will eventually begin to intermingle with the awkward moments. Maybe you will be, even begin to look back on those awkward moments and cherish them. Um, if you're new to Emmanuel and you have not felt a warm welcome, join a small group and show up as many weeks as you can and pray and feast and walk with those people consistently. Um, let's say that you have a friendship or a small group that you're already in and you absolutely love it. I want to ask you to consider letting other people in to those relationships, to that group, whether official or unofficial. Um, don't be so afraid of losing the good vibes that you've worked for that you don't serve the world through those connections that you have. So ask how you can serve others through that friendship or through that small group. Uh, last fall, our men's Bible study had a great time practicing Lectio Divina together and telling our stories, and a community was formed. A men's community was formed. It was really rich and deep, and now we're going, how do we serve our city through this time? We'll, we'll still do Lectio Divina. We'll still pray together. We'll still tell our stories. We'll invite people in. But we're also going to go out as well. We're going to pray together about potential nursing homes that we can visit and other people that we can include other people into our friendships with. Other people, perhaps, that they can't, they can't even get out of their building, but they would love to practice Lectio Divina, and they would love to tell their story. And we're going to offer ourselves to them. I think that Emmanuel, and, I, and I've prayed about this, and the leadership of Emmanuel has, has felt this as well, that Emmanuel, long-term, is a church that is called to plant other churches. I really believe we're called to that. And, and I was raised up as a pastor in a church that did that. I was raised up in a church in D.C. that has planted five churches, and it's only 10 years old. Um, and let me tell you, I saw the cost that had to be paid. To have that mantle of, well, you're planting churches in Boston and Chicago and D.C., and what does that actually mean for the people in the congregation and the pastors? I'll tell you what it means. It requires relational openness because God is always asking you to release people that you love and embrace new people to love. Practicing that simple action over and over again is a requirement and is a cost to be paid for planting churches. So open to receiving new friendships, open to sending people you love dearly to serve in a different neighborhood, a different congregation. And this is, and this is not easy, this is hard. But if we will take up the mantle, which I believe is ours, you will have to take it up. I, I can't take it up on your account. I can practice this in my own life as best as possible. I can't practice it for you. So I, actually, I need you to pray about this. What role do you want to play in welcoming all that God wants to bring to this church and also all the churches God wants to plant through this church? It starts with how you respond to people, the blocking and tackling of how you respond to people on Sunday morning and in your small groups. 
Will you embrace and be open to new friendships? Will you let other people into the special connections that you've made? Will you be willing to send, without bitterness, the people that you love the most to serve in another church? It's those kinds of questions that have to be answered as we stand before God and our relationships that we so treasure. And we answer the question, what will we say? Will we say mine? Or in an act of childlike worship and devotion and trust, say something incredibly different and prayerful. Yours. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.